Welcome to Sideline Sleuths, a true crime podcast hosted by three Texas educators. Actually, none of us are even Texans, but we do all live here. I'm Megan, and the other co-hosts are Nas and Jasmine. We're going to start off by talking a little bit about ourselves and our interest in crime before we jump into our first topic. Parts of this are going to be a bit scripted. I mean, I did take a ton of notes, and I even made an outline, so I'm really prepared. But we intend for this to be pretty informal and conversational. All right, so which one of you wants to go first? Nas or Jasmine? I love true crime, mostly, I think, because I've come from a family of paranoid people. So every time I do anything, they want to tell me, oh, girl, don't do that, because didn't you hear about so-and-so and this, da-da-da, and she answered the door, girl, blah, 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 blah. That's how it goes. So I'm going to make my kid paranoid and into crime then, because I'm like that. <laughs> I turned out all right. Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> And Jasmine is a teacher at school with me. And Nas also works with us. Uh, My family was a direct victim of gun violence. And it kind of intrigued me on how the perpetrator felt in his feelings. So I really wanted to understand why he felt the way he felt. And then, like, my mom and my aunts as victims, how did they feel? And how did that trauma kind of get passed down the line? Okay. And Nas is a teacher at school, too. He, um, what is your title called? What's the... I'm a past teacher. It's just like positive attitudes for success. So it's more of like a behavioral student, you know, for students who deal with emotional disturbances. And you have a criminology or criminal justice degree, right? I do have a criminal justice degree. What about you? What's your education? Believe it or not, uh, advertising. Oh, there we go. Look, we're all over the place. This is great. <laughs> yeah, that's actually pretty cool. We're going to need you. Okay, so that leaves me. Like I said before, I'm Megan, and I'm a school librarian, but before that, I worked in a behavior unit with emotionally disturbed high school students. It's a lot like what Nas is doing now, but I just had older kids. And then before that, I taught some other stuff. My undergraduate degree is in sociology with a criminology focus. I thought I was going to work in juvenile corrections before I kind of just fell into teaching. And then here I am now. My love of crime really comes from my childhood best friend, Justin. When he was a teenager, he made a series of really questionable decisions, and that was years after we lost touch. The trajectory of his life has always, I guess, broke my heart and fascinated me at the same time. And so my love of crime was born. I am really into the why aspect of it all, like the criminal mind and delinquent theories, but what I'm most passionate about aside from my fascination with serial killers and mysterious missing person cases, um, my passion's really in recidivism. So for those of you who are not familiar with the criminology terminology, recidivism is the likelihood that a criminal will re-offend. All right, so the format that we're hoping to follow here is that for every episode, one of us will introduce a topic. And that person will do most of the research on the topic and then present it to the other two co-hosts who will then react to it. Okay, so today we're going to talk about the Baton Rouge serial killers. And I picked this topic because, for one, Baton Rouge is my hometown. And two, about this time last year, I read an article in The Advocate, which is Baton Rouge's newspaper, called How to Explain Baton Rouge's Troubling History of Serial Killers, Recent Cases Add to Evidence. And I was like, um, what? Baton Rouge has a whole lot of serial killers? 
So we're going to talk about that trend and some of those individuals. Um, okay, so when I was in 10th grade, that was like 2002. I don't know how old you are, but you're like about my age-ish. Yeah, sorry, you can't see that. I was talking to Jasmine. I don't know how old Jasmine is. I'm not going to tell you. But Nas is about my age-ish. So like 2002, I'm in 10th grade, and Baton Rouge had a serial killer, Derek Todd Lee. Mm -hmm. And after he was caught, other serial killers came to light, and there was actually like four or five known ones in South Louisiana in general. So you guys have four serial killers at one time? At one time. And well, three of them were literally in Baton Rouge, and the other ones were like nearby, but three of them were like in the city of Baton Rouge. So Derek Todd Lee, which sounds like a serial killer name. Yeah. Like that is the name of a killer. And I was telling this other teacher at school about him and she was like, why do so many murderers have three names? And then we just started like naming killers and not necessarily serial killers. I feel bad for people who have three names and they're not slaughtering people because like right now I'm like, hey, you're a killer if you have three names. But like, um, is that like a telltale sign? Like one of those? Yeah. Like, I watch all my students with three names. Yeah. Especially if, it's, if, they go, <laughs> if they go by all three names. So like uh, John Wayne Gacy is okay. a really famous serial killer from the 70s. Yeah. And then just other killers like the guy who killed like JFK, Martin Luther King, Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. John Lewis Booth. Yeah. yeah. Lee Harvey Oswald, yeah. James Earl Ray, Paul John Knowles is the Casanova a killer he's another serial killer so there's like holy moly so like quick thing. question does anybody in here go by three names not me no, no. Mm-hmm. i have four names that i don't i just do two i see i took my last name and cut it to three yeah, letters you made it even shorter yeah so, so just not, to assure it up just to, just to <laughs> make sure i'm my way <laughs> so we were talking about like why people do this and so i looked up and it said that people who have this propensity to kill have a personality trait where they have like an inflated sense of self like oh i'm so important that i am oh, wow. john wayne gacy or i am lee harvey oswald so but it's only if somebody's like you must call me all three names what? that they're out there I think there was a time when I was in high school where I was like, you know what, Josh Naziaga just sounds good. Like, it just sounds, so I want you to call me my first and last name, but that didn't last long. Guys, I'm really just thinking about someone that I know, and (laughs) a lot of dots are connecting. (laughs) (laughs) Are you still connected to the person? Um, uh, Yeah. (laughs) So. And so are there any, like, missing person cases from that person? They town? do have a, a strange personality. You know, they're from Texas. I mean, I should just call an anonymous tip. <laughs> <laughs> be like, oh, yeah, just like, I mean, he's a cool person, but just check him out. <laughs> yeah, right. But we're getting a little off topic. So Derek Todd Lee doesn't really have a media sensationalized name, like the Casanova killer I just mentioned. He's the Baton Rouge serial killer. I saw him called the ghost of Baton Rouge, like, a couple times, but mm-hmm. I don't really think that that's stuck as much. So he's just the Baton Rouge serial killer, even though we have four of them. His killing spree happened between 1998 and 2003, but law enforcement officials believe he may have been responsible for other murders, some as far back as 1992. DNA has linked him to the deaths of seven women, and he also has one surviving victim. One of the linked murders happened in Lafayette, and so for those who are not familiar with Louisiana geography, Baton Rouge and Lafayette are roughly an hour apart. So Derek Tadley was thought to be responsible for several other deaths, but they could never officially attribute them to him. He was convicted in two separate trials for the murders of Gerilyn DeSoto and Charlotte Murray Pace. He also had some previous run-ins with the law for stalking and for being a peeping Tom. One of his victims reportedly told friends that she felt like someone was watching her shortly before she was killed. And like a weird side note about him is that this guy who used to work with my dad got arrested for breaking into the crime scene. And I'm pretty sure it was Charlotte Murray Pace's house. Um, he said he just wanted to like see it for himself. 
But um, my dad said one day, like, a whole bunch of cops just showed up at the hospital and, like, took him in for questioning. But he wasn't Derek Todley, so crisis averted. But, yeah, he just wanted to see this place where this lady was murdered. It was, like, five days after she was killed. He, like, climbed in the window of her house just to see it. What? Like, I like serial killers, but I don't like serial killers enough to break into a crime scene. Five days after. He was just in. too scary to be near at all. It's just five days later. so real. Well, I hope he learned his lesson because I think he got sentenced to six months living in a halfway house where he was like on a monitor where he could only leave at certain times. And he had to pay like $1,500. So Bannard wasn't messing around. So that was, so he like rented that house. No, he just like climbed in a window. Yeah, yeah, like he broke in, but after his consequences, I mean, he pretty much. The only reason they found out is because he told everybody he did it. Like the cops heard about it and went and asked him like, hey, we heard you broke into this crime scene. And he he was like, yeah, I did. Yeah, he was like, "Uh uh-huh. Well, at least least you know he's more intrigued with the crime than actually like trying to copycat it. DNA cleared him though, but uh, yeah. All right, so his victims. So he did not use the same method for each victim, which is likely what helped him remain active as long as he did, because people think like serial killers all have this very specific MO, yeah, Yeah. and he didn't. So all of his victims were raped, but Gina Green, Diane Alexander, and Carrie Lynn Yoder were strangled. And Diane Alexander- After they were raped? I don't know. I'm pretty sure they were raped and strangled simultaneously, but then strangulation is the cause of death. So so was it like he- initially just like had sexual fantasies and then was like you know what i don't want to get caught there no one of them is like that one of the guys we're going to talk about i don't think him the diane alexander the one who lived the only reason she lived is because her son came home and walked in on the attack yeah, yeah so yeah, yeah. she was strangled and raped but he didn't finish so she didn't die from the strangulation so i think it was like a simultaneous thing like i don't know some people are into that and i mean to each his own but not to the point of death Randy Mieber, Gerilyn DeSoto, and Charlotte Marie Pace were stabbed to death. And then Trenisha Denae Colombe, oh, she was raped and beaten to death. And Pamela Kinnamore was beaten, raped, and had her throat cut. So there's some similarities, but it's not like, it's not like you could obviously tell they were all this one person. But you know, like kind of with like serial killers, it just depends on like the, the psychopath, the sociopath. Psychopath being the ones are like born innately with without emotions mm-hmm. or without being able to connect to them. And the sociopaths are the ones who get like bullied a ton and they just emotionally disconnect. I thought those were opposite. I thought sociopaths were that unable to feel empathy. Well, they're yeah, sociopaths are unable to feel empathy, but sure sociopaths are made. Psychopaths oh, okay. are born. Okay. Sociopaths are nice. made. Yeah. Okay, so then never mind. My ex-boyfriend is a psychopath, not a sociopath. He was, <laughs> he was not made. He was just... Hey, let's just put it up. He was born crazy. Okay. Um, so Pam Kinnamore is the victim that I remember the most vividly from growing up when the killer was still at large in our city. And I'll tell you about her in a second, like why she just stuck in my head. Also, three of his victims were kidnapped. So not all seven, but three of them were taken from their home and put somewhere else. So that's Pam Kinnamore, Trenisha Colombe, and Carrie Lynn Yoder. Pam and Carrie's bodies were found in an area called Whiskey Bay, which is a body of water right off the highway, and several bodies have been found over there. And then, oh, there's another connection. Gina Green and Charlotte Marie Pace lived on the same street, like within like three houses of each other. They lived on Stanford Avenue, which is right by LSU. And a lot of the houses by LSU were super nice. Like, I don't know if I've ever actually been on Stanford Avenue, but um, yeah, they lived within three houses. Wasn't there like three? There is another one on the same street, but her death has not been officially solved. So, and then Carrie Lynn Yoder lived right by LSU. So now the other one who lived on Stanford Avenue, her name is Eugenie Boisfontaine. Boisfontaine. Yeah. Okay. So I am a Louisianian, but when I looked at that, I was like, 
what? Um, so I had to call my ex-mother-in-law and I was like, am I saying this right? <laughs> um, so now I don't want to talk about her like a whole bunch because I think she might need her own episode because she's still unsolved. Um, the Killing Fields, which is a show on the Discovery Channel. Have you guys seen it? I, I, I don't have cable, so I watch it on YouTube. I'll go check it out. The Killing Fields, yeah. So they reopened her cold case in 2017. So some people might already know about Eugenie, but she was murdered in 1997, and she was last seen walking near the LSU lakes, and her body was found months later in a neighboring parish. The parish is a county in Louisiana. We're the only state that does that. Eugenie also lived on Sanford Avenue, just a few houses away from the other two girls, Gina Green and Charlotte Pace, and the three of them lived within five houses of each other. So why do you think you like targeted that area though? I think there's just like a, a lot of young, naive, maybe not that observant females near LSU because yeah. it's a college campus. <clears throat> and even though these women weren't like college age, it's like a an area where there would be lots of women. Like people walk around the LSU lake, jog around them. like, yeah. And that's where she was walking around the lake when she was taken. So there's just like a lot of easy targets, I guess, maybe. So how old was Derek when he, like, first started? Like, I know it's presumed that he started early as 92, but how old was he? Like, was he born in 69, 68, 69? He was, like, only... He was, like, 30 He was pretty young when he died. He died in 2016 of heart disease in in, uh, prison. Um, Let's see how old he... What year he was born, officially. I'm Googling it right now. I should have known this. I think I remember, because this was about the time with the D.C. snipers, too. Because I, yes. I remember... Oh, he has my son's birthday. He was born in 68. Oh, um, wow. So in, he would have been 24, I guess, when he... Yeah, he would have in been... In 92? If the 92 Allegedly him, attributing yeah. to he would the 92. Oh, wow. 24. That's yeah. pretty young. Yeah. Uh, but 98. So if he... The first one we have actually linked to him, he was 30. Oh, okay. Okay, so despite the resurgence in interest in Eugenie's death, her murder has never been solved. There are two really likely suspects. Obviously, one of them is Derek Todd Lee, and the other one is this other Baton Rouge serial killer who doesn't have a name, who was operating in the same area at the same time, <laughs> targeting like a lot of the same kinds of people named Sean Vincent Gillis. Triple name. Triple names. So Lee and Gillis are two of maybe four or five serial killers who operated in the same general area independently of each other since about 1995-ish. So what? what? a scary place to grow up. But I don't remember that. I remember Derek Todd Lee and then... I don't know if they were trying to... Well, at first I was like, they tried to purposely not tell us that, oh, there's four of them, to like keep fear down. But I found out later that they really just didn't know. They thought Derek Todd was taking out all... They thought he was killing all these people. And then later they realized there was... So like once they arrested him or... Yeah, once they were like, yeah, then they were like, huh, there must be more. I remember we get to carry... Like the police were given out pepper spray to us and like just freeze just because, random yeah so like we i remember my mom and i waited in line at one of these like i don't know precincts and they gave out the pepper spray that when you sprayed somebody's face it turns blue and it stays blue for 24 hours and if you put water on it it starts the time over because they were hoping somebody was going to spray him in and he'd be like they'd notice somebody, they noticed somebody missing work what's, or the, doing something what's the willy wonka girl when she ate the gum she wasn't supposed to and she just turned blue uh, oh no yeah, it's augustus one. blue I don't Not remember. a clue. Is it Violet or was it? I think. Augustus Blue, Augustus Blue, big, big greedy income poop. Oh, wow. Wow. You're welcome. Jasmine. Thank you. Thank you. That's what I bring to the table. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the best part. Jasmine and Nas are so charismatic and I'm just like terrified. Um, okay, so the other two are Jeffrey Lee Guillory, sometimes just Jeffrey Guillory, and Ronald Dominique. The fifth- Hold up. You said Ronald Dominique. What is his middle name? 
<laughs> I don't know. I didn't look that part up. Um, and he, he wasn't publicized like that, so he must not have went by all three, but he's, we're about to know in a second. Okay, and then the fifth one has been dubbed the Jennings Killer because of the area south of Baton Rouge where the victims were from, but that person has never been identified, so is technically still at large. But I'm not going to talk about them at all because those murders are so convoluted that they need like a movie or some, I'm not even sure. Like some writers in other states have been like, what happened in Jennings, Louisiana? And it's been suggested that it wasn't a serial killer at all, but instead local law enforcement officials or people really close to them who would have specific knowledge of the crimes murdering these women. Oh, yeah. So we don't know who that is. Okay, so Sean Vincent Gillis was sentenced to life in prison for the rape and murder of eight women in the Baton Rouge area between 1994 and 2004. So... Derek Todd Lee was 92, maybe, but definitely 98 to 2003. And then Sean Vincent Gillis is 94 to 2004. So the same years that they're overlapping. And he is disgusting. He stalked, kidnapped, raped, murdered, and mutilated his victims. He also frequently took body parts as trophies. So I am not a person who is easily grossed out by stuff because, like I said at the beginning, I love serial killers. Well, I'm fascinated by saying love them makes me seem creepy. I am fascinated by serial killers, but, like, everything I read about him, I was like, this person is evil. And I'm pretty sure to be a serial killer, you're already evil, but he is, like, maybe the evilest of evil. I wouldn't, initially, I wouldn't say evil because in their minds, there's no emotions. So that's kind of how, as normal, healthy, functioning human beings, yeah. we kind of decipher good from bad. It's, it's, but it's they don't. Yeah. But yeah. they don't. Yeah. Gratification. Yeah. I would normally be like, people should look this up, but like, you should probably not look him up. It was don't look it up, kids. Super disturbing <laughs> and troubling, and but and I also didn't really see like a lot of specifics about some of the murders and the things I read, and I was like, is this person sparing me, or did they just did the media not know everything because it was really heinous? So yes, nasty. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's bad. Yeah, Sean Vincent Gillis, like Lee, did not use the same method every single time. Most of the time he did. He had way more of a clear-cut, like, method than Lee did. But his was stabbing or strangulation. But I think almost all of them, save maybe one or two, yeah. were strangled the same way. But, you know, most of the time when somebody, like, keeps a trophy from, like, a victim or just in general, it's, it's a couple different things. They have a compulsive disorder or they have a hoarding disorder, yeah. but some sometimes it's just like when just a healthy human being wins a trophy and they want to keep it up on a mantle or keep it where they yeah. can just see it and remember it, kind of remember those old times and revisit those old feelings. And so, I mean, if this guy really, because they attributed kind of, uh, what was it, eight women? But, yeah. you know, a lot of times what, what happens is people, you get caught for eight Yeah. But that really means you Way have all, it's like yeah. an iceberg. Yeah. And like, yeah. and you're not even convicted for all of them. Like, so Derek Tudley only had two trials, but yeah. was linked to eight women because he's already going to prison for the rest of his life. A life sentence without the possibility. Yeah. That's. And if you're going to, you can't, he doesn't have eight lives. So like yeah. one, yeah. I think going to prison for life. You're not for, a cat. One of, yeah. He's not a cat. Um, yeah. Cats are cool. They couldn't be a cat. Um, but they're also kind of tiny death machines. So. Mm. Maybe they're little baby mm. serial killers. Like the, the yeah, serial killers of the, the mascot of the of serial killers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get rid of my cat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Gillis challenged FBI profilers, and that really helped him remain free as long as he did. And the same is for Derek Todd Lee, because originally law enforcement thought they were looking for a white man and not a black man. Oh. So Derek Todd Lee is African American. That kind of remind the DC snipers. Yes. I remember I was mm-hmm. like just come either. No, I was a sophomore when the DC snipers, 2002, 2003. Yeah, okay, so I would have been a sophomore also. Sophomore, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. 
Like when they came out, their profiles came out that they were two African American yes, people. People were like, "What?" what? It's a really, it's a really common myth that serial killers are all white men. But according to Scientific American, twenty percent of all serial killers are actually black men. But, but I think it's because people think like mass shooters are generally like deranged white dudes. So serial killers are too. But just. 20% are black men. I don't know how many, few are women, but so the bulk are yeah. white men, but not. Get your stereotypes it's right. It's not just like one. So for a period of time, what the public I think only knew about the Batner serial killer was that he drove this white pickup truck. And for some reason, I think it was an F-150, but it's probably wrong. I couldn't find that. So remember I said that Pam Kinnamore was the one I remembered the most. Mm-hmm. So, and I couldn't figure out why, but. I had to like do a whole lot of research. Somebody reported hours after Pam Kinnamore was taken that they saw a naked female slumped over in the passenger seat of a white pickup truck. And then it's like borderline OJ. Yeah, right. That's actually that was exactly the image I had in my mind while I was saying that was OJ, but that was a Bronco. But I remember still a Ford. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being really, hmm. really kind of on heightened alert around white see. men in white pickup trucks when this was happening. We're all like looking at them like, is it you? Is it you? Oh and, yeah. yeah. I, I do that too. You gotta be yeah. vigilant. But then we were completely we gotta be vigilant. Yeah, we were completely wrong because it was a black man. But my tenth grade health teacher uh, Coach DuPont, he drove a white truck, and he said that everywhere he went, people were like... I would park that in the garage. Yeah, Ain't but, no way. Yeah, taking the no, bus. He was, he was like, everybody keeps looking at me weird, like, are you the, are you the Batman serial killer? But, I'm changing my license plate. Yes, not a killer. Yeah. <laughs> but Coach DuPont, obviously, was not the serial killer. Thank you, Coach. Uh, yeah. Sean Vincent Gillis was linked to several murders through DNA, and in total, he confessed to eight killings. DNA did not link him to Eugenie Boisfontaine. Gillis would go on to kill for 10 years because police were not connecting his murders. Police did not realize that all of these killings were linked together. They thought they were just like eight independent homicides. They actually didn't even know Gillis existed until after they caught Lee, like we were talking about a minute ago. Some murders that they assumed Lee was responsible for, when they couldn't connect him, they were like, shit, there's another one. And then that's how they discovered Gillis. Wow. So if they hadn't caught Lee, they, who knows how long Gillis would have been out here killing people. And, oh, and I don't remember why this is written down in my notes in this exact spot, but the other day, Nas, you asked me what percentage of serial killer victims are male versus female, and I looked it up. And it is an even split of 51% female and 49% male, which is proportional to the population. So most victims are female, but only because there are more, more females. females. Yeah, yeah, okay. Wow, that that's yeah, really I thought it was going to be way more women. Yeah, yeah, I thought I just it, think that they yeah. would. Yeah. 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 I don't know, but yeah, but it's pretty. The, so are is there like a difference between someone who kills men versus women? Or are there are there some serial killers who kill both men and women? There are just, some who kill both indiscriminately. Okay. Yeah. They're just like random, like, you know what? Let's rock and roll. In, in my obsession with this i've discovered that a lot of serial killer victims are female prostitutes mm-hmm. or gay men why do you think that is female prostitutes they are have a reason to be lured to a car with a stranger yeah. or prostitutes in general oh, wow. i also think like because like a serial killer's thought process like when, whenever i think about like the why you're you know watching enough movies doing enough research and stuff like that like and it's that like into some people in the the prostitute is like the lowest. Like nobody really cares about them. Yes, anyway. they want to. They want to picture so, who's likely to not be reported missing. Like somebody yeah, on the yeah, fringe yeah. of society. Yeah. So that yeah. way, like it could go undetected, fly under the radar. Because oh, yeah. if I didn't answer my phone for two hours, like the national guard's going to be alerted or something. Like oh, yeah, my family yeah. is like really would notice. Well, yeah, Megan hasn't posted too. anything on Facebook. What is happening? Um, if I didn't come to work, that's like you know twelve hundred people here yeah. who would be like, um, so we're missing. 
the librarian. So, but he's going to pick people who are not going to have a job they're going to miss yeah. or a family that they are deeply connected to. Maybe they're estranged from their family or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, that could be a reason for some of the gay men because some families are not supportive of that. So yeah. maybe they have a disconnect in their family and their parents or siblings or something are not going to report them missing. This is- isn't serial killer-esque, but going back to that communication that, that citizens on the fringe of society... I had I have a friend who I have lots of French society who, friends <laughs> who recently went missing. It's presumed that her boyfriend killed her. But I'm thinking like myself personally, like I talk to my mom maybe once a month, twice a month. Like I the I talk to my wife. I'll randomly call people that I know every when I'm in the car somewhere, but I don't have a consistent communication with, unless with my wife. But even that is not like a oh at ten o'clock I'm gonna call you. Oh yeah, it's not like a schedule schedule. Yeah. But my friends mom, like the only reason why they knew she was missing is because she calls her every morning at six o'clock. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, people wouldn't even know that I'm, I mean, yeah. you know, like, people like take, yeah. oh, Nas is probably sick. Nas yeah. is probably this and that, but no. no. Okay. So I have, That's scary. I have a crazy ex-boyfriend. Um, we're not going to talk too much about that, but there's actually a teacher at school, um, who called me every day, calls the library every day to make sure that I'm there. Well, last mm-hmm. year when it was really crazy, she'll like call my cell phone or text me and ask me if I'm okay. And we, you and I now talked about before, I have an If I Go Missing file, which I actually got from another podcast that has contact information for people I talk to frequently, phone numbers, how I know them, where I should be in the event that something happens to me because I have a psycho ex-boyfriend. And there's actually a couple people at school who are on the list, so they would know immediately every day at like 7.45 if I'm not at work, something's wrong. And then I have like my son's school in there and stuff, so if somebody calls and says he didn't make it to school or whatever, then they would know like... Somebody needs to go check. Like, just to even have that in the forefront of your mind, like, I couldn't imagine what it's like to be a young woman. I like, well, just a woman, in period. Kidding. Like, if I come up dead, it's like, oh, road rage. Somebody killed him out of road rage. Some, like, he. Yeah, there, there's something. No, everybody would know exactly yeah, something who mine that's, was. I'm convinced. If something happens to me, y'all, this man did it. I also have copies of all my fingerprints in there. And it's in a Google Drive. I have a physical copy, and I have DNA swabs. Do you in have a like? Do you have like your location. teeth? Do you have like your teeth? No, you but I have my dental. Records. I have the information yeah, yeah. at my dentist your so te- that they can get it from them. But I don't Holy have like the actual moly. thing. This is yes. like a. This is. I'm like I'm paranoid. See, like you. Critical. This is why I'm gonna yeah. make myself love crime. But yeah, no. I'm if so if I get I murdered. Think there's a thin line between yeah. concerned and paranoid. I don't yeah. think you crossed the yeah. paranoid. I, don't, I, don't, yeah. I think I'm like off, like legitimately have a reason to worry. Like if I didn't have if I wasn't already a victim of violent crime and I had some DNA swabs in a secured location that was at the correct temperature then maybe you should worry but if because i have like a real reason to be so scared. do you have dna frozen i do but i can't tell you where because if my killer hears this he would know how to destroy it or where to destroy wow. my DNA. it's your dna it's my dna like okay, i thought you had yours his oh, I, sh- I was like no if i had his that's i would say that's where you yeah. crossed the paranoid okay, okay. <laughs> I don't have you're his. there okay i don't have cool. his dna i just have mine i got an okay. old toothbrush or something in there oh i probably do though Okay, stop. Okay, so Sean Vincent Gillis, his victims, the first one was Anne Bryan in 1994, and he said he did not plan to kill her. He was only going to rape her, only going to rape her, like that makes it somehow better. That she got so scared and screamed that he got scared, and then he stabbed her 50 times. What? She was like 80-something years old, and he slit her throat, but all he was going to do was rape her, and then she got so scared that he got so scared that he, like, killed her. You know, usually if you stab somebody that many times... in the heat of passion yeah. or like yeah. hatred, right? He was yeah. really that scared that he just like repeatedly stabbed this lady yeah. 50 times. So that could actually throw the cops off because they're yeah. like, oh, it's somebody he knows. Because oh, no. yeah. who would stab a stranger 50 times? 50. Yeah. Is there any... She's 80? Yeah, and nobody else was stabbed like that. Just the first one that he got really freaked out by. Is she the only one that's elderly? They None of them... 
Some of them were like in their fifties, I think, but she was like this super old one. Not oh, that yeah. I, not that I've stabbed anybody or seen a stabbing. However, could you imagine like fifty times? Like think about like a gummy bear, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys like gummy bears, I'm but I but I do indulge them. and I do enjoy. But like the skin is kind of like a gummy bear where it's not oh. in, like you know so on, like not movies. Easy or it is easy. Well, it's not like the movies where it's like. Whoosh, Oh yeah, no. It's no. like really quiet and it's more like it's like especially yeah. stabbing, not just slicing, but you're going through those organs and that bloodness. I mean that sound like Yeah. That well, would oh this dude is just like he's it's just like a times. bad dude. He's the evil one I said. So what did he do? Oh. Do we know what he did before he became a serial killer? Like no. did he was just like a random worker? Did he was he married? No, um he was just brooding. I don't have the job information for him, but I have Ronald Dominique's, which is really oh, okay. I, I like I am I am kind of disappointed in Ronald Dominique because he doesn't have a middle name. Yeah. Oh, he doesn't have one. You didn't see it. I think uh, it might start with a W, but I'm not 100. Yeah. Positive. But the, like in none of his paperwork yeah, does it say like because he Ronald. wasn't one of those. He, but that's because he wanted to be nondescript, and I'll tell you what oh. it was. So he did not have that whole like I'm Sean Vincentulis. Um Okay. So, but Sean's vi- victims. The next one was Catherine Ann Hall, 1999, and he beat, stabbed, and strangled her with a zip tie before he dismembered her, but I didn't find out anything about her being raped. So it might have just been like that first lady or some ladies he wanted to rape. Um, the next one was Hardy Schmidt, also in 1999, and he stalked her while she was jogging, hit her with his car, and then strangled her with a zip tie, and then raped her. What? Yeah. So, this, I oh, mean, the zip, ties, the zip ties I have are small. Like, are there big zip ties? That, like, yeah. around? Okay. They, I don't they even have wanna, pretty big. I, I got some wanna... for my car work. Like some for your really... car. <laughs> Sad day. Yeah. yeah. Um, Joyce Williams in 1999. He also strangled her with a zip tie before he dismembered her and then ate parts of her body. Hold on. Cannibalism. This is the what one I told you. What does that like, mean? What so is that? Gross. The psychology behind he, eating I someone. Know. I don't know, but he was disgusting. He's the one who's like taking body part trophies and oh, yeah. And then Lillian Robinson and Marilyn Nevels were both killed in 2000 by being strangled with a zip tie. So this is why I felt like cops should have been linking these girls together. Like, how are y'all all killed with a zip tie? Yeah. Um, and then I didn't find a whole lot of information about the specifics of their murders. Um, just basically, like, they were strangled with a zip tie. And then Johnny Mae Williams was murdered in 2003. He beat her, cut her, and dismembered her. Now, the, he didn't eat her, though. But the really weird thing about them is that they were friends. They used to, like, get high together on a regular basis, and then one day he just murdered and cut her up. They say. What? Yeah. So it's always your friends. I'm just kidding. Yeah. It's really not. <laughs> um, Donna Bennett Johnston was murdered in 2004, and she was also strangled with a zip tie before he dismembered her and ate parts of her body. Does it? Do you know what parts of the body he ate? No, some people had their hands cut off, like, when they found the body. Some people had, like, a part of their butt cut off. Like, it was just some real random, so no. Did they just know from him telling them that he ate parts of them? I think they found body parts in his home, and it, the yeah. evidence made it obvious that he had yeah. ate them. Oh. But he was <gasps> pretty gross. I'm sure he just told them. Yeah, I would assume it. Because he just I was like, I would hey, just I assume it'd be organs because. I don't know if they were cut open. They he just cut off. Because I'm thinking like when Why I eat, eat chicken. A finger when something? I eat chicken. Oh, gross. <laughs> the worst yeah, chicken finger. I don't eat I mean, boneless. chicken fingers at the store. Yeah, exactly. But, but yeah, it's yeah, not a finger. Yeah. That's a, like a chicken yeah. head finger. That's a talent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, because it's like when I'm eating chicken, like the thing that I hate the most is the bone. Even though I don't like boneless wings or boneless 
I don't eat so meat like at that. all. And Eating now meat. this makes me really glad I didn't actually. I know. Do you did you guys watch Dexter when it was on TV? Absolutely. Okay, that intro where they were like innocently cutting breakfast foods, but you know he murders people. It always I was like, I'm so glad I'm a vegetarian. Oh, mm-hmm. it was just like nauseating to me because I just looked at it and was like, okay, oh, that could be a thigh. That could be somebody. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, usually when people eat their victims or anything like that is just a sense of power. Like some people are cannibals. Mm-hmm. Like when you think of a cannibal, you automatically think of like Hannibal Lecter, yeah. Yeah. stuff like that. But most of the time, like yeah, it's if not for like food. It's yeah, yeah. There are some people who are cannibals. Yeah. Like they do want that. I learned about serial killers, but it wasn't really my thing. Oh, it's my thing. Obviously, uh, yeah. Some well, I say yeah. You're, and I'm from apparently the town where everybody is a serial oh, killer, except me. I'm close I'm second. I got yeah. stuff. Florida. Yeah. Every <laughs> every crazy headline starts with Florida man, Florida woman, Florida couple. Actually, I said that to my Wasn't sister. Wasn't somebody just get kidnapped? It was like a Florida couple? <laughs> Always. My oh sister, my and I was born in Florida. I was telling my sister the other day that all the crazy headlines start with Florida, and I was like, Florida's the zoo of the United States. They don't do that for other states. They're not like Texas man, Louisiana man, but they always say Florida man. I'm like, man, Florida, y'all are wild out there. Okay, so the next one we're going to talk about is Ronald Dominique, and he is known as the Bayou Serial Killer or the Bayou Strangler, and he pled guilty to the rape and murder of eight gay men. However, after he was arrested, he actually confessed to the rape and murder of 23 men, spanning multiple South Louisiana parishes over a 10-year period. But these rapes and murders were not really happening in Baton Rouge, but in the southern portion of Louisiana. In total, I think they said they found bodies in seven different parishes. So just so we're consistent, it's uh, Ronald Joseph. There we go. Uh, Dominique. Ronald Joseph Dominique. Okay, so he was so successful at carrying out these acts because he was a nobody. I've actually seen him referred to as a quote-unquote little-known serial killer. Dominique was a pizza delivery guy who was short, overweight, and balding. So people did not suspect him at all. He lived in a really nondescript trailer in an area where lots of people lived in nondescript trailers. Anonymity is really what allowed him to turn into this monster. So we're saying like he doesn't go by three names. Like he really wanted to be under the radar. So he wasn't like, I'm Ronald Joseph Dominique. He was just like, I'm Ronald this pizza man who kills people. And he didn't really get a whole lot of media coverage, but he is considered one of the most prolific serial killers in history because that's a lot of victims. That's a lot of people. And then he would um, tie them up, rape them, and then murder them. But if the participant didn't want to be tied up, that person wouldn't get raped and murdered. They would like do their thing and let them go. It was the men that he tied up that he then raped and murdered. You know, I read something about this a long time ago where one of his vic- potential victims like escaped. Yeah, escaped yes. because he didn't want. Yeah, he didn't want to. So he like climbed out a window and was like screaming, like he tried to kill me, he tried to kill me. So that was the summer of 1996, and they actually arrested Dominique for rape charges because of that incident. But nothing ever happened with that case because when it came time to testify, they couldn't locate the victim. And that was before the murders even started. So had that, had they actually been able to prosecute him, then all 23 of those murders could have been prevented. Okay, so our next one is Jeffrey Lee Guillory, and he's sometimes publicized as just Jeffrey Guillory. And he's in prison for the murder of three Baton Rouge women, Florida Edwards, Sylvia Cobb, and Renee Newman who were killed between 1999 and 2002. His victims were strangled or beaten and left in abandoned buildings or in parking lots. He is believed to be responsible for several other unsolved murders in Baton Rouge from that time period. However, those dates are concurrent with the dates that Derek Todd Lee and Sean Vincent Gillis were active in the area. I saw a Facebook post from his sister stating that the family believes some of the murders are being falsely attributed to him 
and that the victim or victims were actually killed by Derek Todd Lee. It is kind of hard to tell without DNA linking them because these men were killing women in pretty similar manners in the same geographical area at the same time. I think Gillis's victims stand out and you can't confuse the two. I also think leagues are so similar that it wouldn't make sense to think that Edwards, Cobb, and Newman were killed by him. So while Jeffrey Guillory's sister might think he didn't kill all those women, I don't see any reason to think that it was Derek Todd Lee or Sean Vincent Gillis, other than the time frame. So you know, after really reviewing things, I'm pretty sure that I'm right because I felt like Sean Vincent Gillis's victims all had the zip tie. So like if you weren't killed with a zip tie, and you weren't the first lady because the first lady is the only one he stabbed to death. So what is his what is his serial killer name? Sean Vincent Gillis is just called the other Baton Rouge serial killer. Although yeah. they have serial killers, I believe the city is quite lazy because you can call him the Zipper. Yeah, something. Or the Zip Tie Killer. Yeah, let's yeah. Okay, let's do it. We're right now. Sean Vincent Gillis is the Zip Tie Killer. Zip Tie Killer. Okay. So so Derek Todd Lee is the Baton Rouge serial killer or the Ghost of Baton Rouge. And then we just decided that Sean Vincent Gillis is the zip tie killer and Ronald Dominique is the Bayou Strangler or the Bayou Serial Killer. But we don't have a name for Jeffrey Guillory. So he only has three victims officially attributed to him. So it would be hard to come up with a name for him anyhow because that's not enough victims to really establish a pattern, especially because the three he does have connected to him were not killed in the same way or left in the same kind of place. But two of them were found in abandoned buildings and one like so much later that she was super decomposed. And if I might have to, yeah, it's humid, it's gross. Louisiana is the armpit of the country for sure. Mm. So you I don't guys know. Are musty. Yeah, it's nasty. Like you go outside in Louisiana, you just took a shower, you open the door, you need to shower again. Like your glasses are going to fog up. It's like. It's kind of like the summer disgusting. in Nebraska. Yeah, I hate it. Now Louisiana is like, it's, it's it hell. That's why I don't live there. And I think the humidity is bad here in Dallas, but it's got, really? it's got nothing over there. I feel like there. there's no humidity here. Wow. Okay, I need to go to some, Nebraska. Is it's not. It is not dry here. Y'all are crazy as hell. I'm from Florida. What you talking about? Girl? It's not dry here. I mean, it's not Florida so and Louisiana. Louisiana is the armpit of the country. Would Florida be the foot? Because you know, I feel like it's the back of the knee. You know, oh, yeah. yeah. sweating. Yeah. So I thought of the zoo and now it's the back of the knee. Yeah. Okay, so we got a little sidetracked, but we were talking about how Jeffrey Guillory's family doesn't think he killed the women that he is convicted of killing. But I actually have a quote from a true crime writer who says she thinks he killed like way more than the three that are linked to him right now. This true crime writer, Susan D. Mustafa, she wrote books about like all these murders in South Louisiana. She said, let's see, I've put Derek Todd Lee at a possible 17, Sean Vincent Gillis at at least eight, Jeffrey Guillory at a possible 12, but could be more, Ronald Dominique at 21, I believe, and the Jennings killer at nine or so. So that's 67 victims between five killers. Now, she said she put Derek Tudley at a possible 17. We have only officially linked him to eight. And then Sean Vincent Gillis, she said at least eight. So Guillory's only been linked to three, but she said 12 and could be more. And then, Don't you think like these people... Like, okay, let's say after they're convicted, wouldn't they still, wouldn't they want those numbers? Yeah, like, so like his could, trophies. Well, like, like Ronald Dominique was, only, it was only eight, I think, at first. And then after he later confessed, it was like, well, yeah, actually, it was 23. That's why he's one of the most prolific serial killers because 23 is a lot of victims before you get caught. Because you just have to kill three to be a serial killer. And he's at 23. Yeah. 
So yeah, I think like if you're that crazy, you would want the credit. Like a lot of them start to tell on themselves, like call into police stations or newspapers and stuff because yeah. like, they, I think they want to be recognized, but not necessarily caught. But maybe eventually they're gonna be like, no, I want everybody to know that was me. I want yeah. They, they, they kind of want people to fear them. So at the beginning, I mentioned a newspaper article that made me like interested in this to begin with. And that's because about a year ago, there was another series of murders in Baton Rouge. Um, so between July of 2017 and September of 2017, Ryan Sharp killed three men and attempted to kill a fourth one. Three of the shootings happened in East Feliciana Parish, which is just north of Baton Rouge, but then one of them was in East Baton Rouge Parish. All the shootings happened within a 25-mile radius of each other. They were all adult white men who were outside of their home at the time, either exercising or doing yard work. So recently, like in the last couple of weeks, Ryan Sharp was ruled not competent to stand trial and is being housed at a mental health facility, but he was like out there. He claimed that he was hunting his victims like deer because he was given government issued deer tags, like you could kill so many deer in a season. And he was just going to kill people with his tags and was like totally thought that was fine. Here, here's a question. I don't know if he actually tagged them, but he said had he not been arrested, he would have continued shooting because he had unfilled tags. But it, I don't think he would have actually tagged them because they would have linked that tag to him, right? right? They would have been like, oh, right away, Ryan Sharp, you've been sniping people out here with deer tags. I don't know why you would hunt a human being like that. Me neither, because you're Ryan Sharp and you're a psycho. Okay, so then the other one was allegedly committed by Kenneth Gleason. And I'm only saying like accused and allegedly because these two people have not yet been convicted. But Kenneth Gleason is a native Baton Rouge man. And I don't think he's technically counts as a serial killer because he killed two people, but law enforcement and the media and Baton Rouge used the word serial killer for him, mm -hmm. but they were kind of hesitant at first, but eventually they adopted it. But he killed two people in a three-day period, and it has to be three people over a longer time period for the FBI's definition. That just sounds like a couple of homicides, yeah. but it could... Yeah, but he's, um, they're like hate crimes. So, okay, so Gleason killed two black guys in three days, and he also fired shots into the home of the only black family on a certain block. Racist. Yes, but there was nobody got hurt, thankfully, but there were two people home. The two guys that he murdered, he shot them from inside of his vehicle, but then got out of his car, walked over to them, and shot them again while standing over top of them. Okay, so now the big question is why so many? I've told you about, what was it, six? Maybe seven? Yeah, I think it's seven if you include the Jennings killer. So six or seven serial killers from Baton Rouge or the Baton Rouge area. So why is it such a hotbed for serial murders? Some people have speculated that it's the limited access to mental health resources in the entire state of Louisiana. And that's interesting because not only are there an unusually high number of serial killers operating in Baton Rouge, but there are Baton Rouge natives who become serial killers elsewhere. So like Nas mentioned a few times, the DC sniper, John Allen Muhammad, he's from Baton Rouge. And then he went to become a serial killer in DC. It just seems really weird to me. Like, I don't think that independent concurrent serial killers is super rare or nearly impossible because I read about a bunch of other cities that had concurrent independent ones, but they were huge cities like New York or Los Angeles or Chicago. And like Baton Rouge has like 225,000 residents and the greater Baton Rouge area is like 800,000. So, I mean, that's not a small amount of people, but it's not Los Angeles, New York and Chicago. So what is going on in Baton Rouge? 
So Louisiana ranks 45th in the country for access to mental health care. And additionally, they spend only $56 per resident on mental health, which is way below the national average of $120 per resident. But they're actually only seventh on the list of states for producing the most serial killers. But the United States has more serial killers than anywhere else in the world. Are you guys surprised? Because I'm not surprised. No, not at all. That just seems like a very American thing. But still, from 1989 to 2014, Louisiana averaged 13.7 murders per 100,000 inhabitants which is more than double the national average at the time of 6.6. And I really am not certain why my hometown seems to breed serial killers. But I think there are a lot of factors. You know, 45th in the country for mental health care access. And also Louisiana is 49th in the country for education. So I think it's a combination of things, really. Like, those two factors contribute... But the thing I keep coming back to is location. And I don't exactly know why, but that is really something I think has got to play a part in it. So I looked up the list of the top 25 most dangerous cities in America. And I discovered that 16 of them are port cities. And Baton Rouge is a port city. But really, there was only four out of the top 25 most dangerous cities that weren't port cities or in extremely close proximity to a port city. So there's a lot of people not getting the mental health care they need, and there are a lot of uneducated people or poorly educated people in Louisiana. But then, like, I don't know. I guess because bodies kept being found in waterways, I was like, is the water have something to do with it? But then I thought, like, is it... Like the Everglades, I think people dump bodies there because they think gators are going to eat them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, is that what's happening in Louisiana? Like we're just stitching yeah, bodies. kind of swampy. In waterways? Yeah, I don't know. Wow. So even though the whole state has the education problem and the heat and the mental health care, the murders are at the bottom where the water is. Now, again, I'm not really sure why I keep coming back to this, but it just seems like, I don't know, and maybe I'm wrong, but it just seems like it has to be connected. In 2017, Louisiana was the murder capital of the United States. No other southern state even came close to Louisiana's murder rate. The crime rate is often attributed to poverty, hot weather, and lax gun laws. Louisiana also has the third lowest median household income, with only Mississippi and Arkansas having lower ones. So now we have a lot of people without access to mental health resources, without a good foundation in the education system, and with a lot of people living below the poverty line. Baton Rouge and New Orleans are ranked as the murder capitals of the state. New Orleans had the highest number of murders, but Plaquemine, a town about, I don't know, like maybe 15 miles or so outside of Baton Rouge, had the highest murder rate in the state. So I think, you know, it is a lack of mental health resources. It is a poor and failing educational system the poverty rate, and the proximity of a port, but I just don't know why the port matters. Like Nas and I talked about it, and he was like, maybe it's transient people, but, I mean, maybe it is, but the people who are killing these people, that's a whole lot of the words, people there, the serial killers in Baton Rouge were not transplants. These are Baton Rouge natives who are killing people. So I asked a few people I know from home, and... They gave me a lot of different potential explanations. They were like, yeah, lots of people and goods are coming and going, and outsiders aren't necessarily noticeable. We talked about Ronald Dominique had the benefit of anonymity, and that's why he was, like, under the radar. Well, 
Baton Rouge is not a small area and there are a lot of people coming and going for various reasons. So maybe you could do some more sketchy things and go unnoticed. If you're in a big city, that's so much easier. Other people said maybe it's that manual labor job prospects for individuals with unsavory backgrounds or people with maybe some interesting personality quirks who might, for whatever reason, be unemployable elsewhere, could find a job at docks or something. And that seems like a plausible theory. Somebody else also mentioned that LSU is in Baton Rouge, so it's a college town. As you now know, Derek Todd Lee had several victims who lived near LSU. But there's 30,000 students or so at LSU and about 51%, 52% are female. So that is a lot of like young, naive women who are maybe don't know the area or not observant, just living that like carefree college mm -hmm. lifestyle. So maybe that's it, but. I have my daughter going to school closest to me. I don't really know if it's any like one thing. It's probably all of that put together, but. You know that I'm like stuck on the port city thing. Maybe it is the demographics of the state or the state's resources paired with the location and paired with the college town. But to me, it just seems weird that there were so many independent concurrent serial killers when I lived there even. Like this isn't something from the past. Like this is, I mean, obviously it's the past now, like it's 2018, but like this is my lifetime. Like I lived in Baton Rouge when these men were actively killing people and I just don't know, like, why is there this predisposition for it? Like, why does Baton Rouge breed murderers? Thank you for listening to Sideline Sleuths. If you have any theories or comments about these cases or this episode, or just feedback about the show in general, we'll list contact information in the episode description. And since this is our first episode, we don't have a cool tagline yet. But if you have an idea and you're listening from the sidelines, let us know.